With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to... Hey, great shot. You're listening to part two of our GSP Best of the Decade conversation with the one and only Ben Rothenberg of the New York Times, looking at the next-gen ATP players and how they fared in their first decade of tennis. In part one of our conversation, we looked at the tier one players, the players we think would we would be shocked if they left the 2020s without winning at least one singles grand slams in case you listeners haven't listened to that yet or just a quick summary for you in case you have uh, Alex Zverev, Stefano Tsitsipas, Daniil Medvedev, Felix Ogier, Aliasim, and Yannick Sinner the topic of our first part of this conversation in part two today we get into the tier two players the players who if things break right for them we really do think can emerge in the next 10 years as a grand slam champion obviously the past 15 years of tennis dominated by Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, Novak Djokovic, and Andy Murray. But over the course of this next decade, all of them will enter their 40s. And you just, regardless of the modern day technology, regardless of the way the game has changed, it is really, really difficult to imagine them still dominating over these next 10 years the way they have the past 10. So that's why we wanted to talk about these next-gen guys. Look at the bigger picture. I believe seven to eight different guys talked about in today's uh episode and you know tier two again those are the players that if they win a grand slam we wouldn't be shocked of course if they don't it wouldn't be the most surprising either guys who fall into this category I'll give you a sneak peek players such as the Dennis Shapovalovs, the Karen Hachinovs, or as I affectionately, of course, call him Karen Kachinov, players of that nature who have already displayed either a top 15 top 20 level or have had maybe some sort of breakthrough result at the Masters or at the, uh, you know, making a slam second week. A guy like Matteo Berrettini comes to mind. How can he not be in the top of people's thoughts after the way he ended so strongly making that 27, uh, 2019 U.S. Open semifinal. So that's today's conversation. Obviously, before we get into the podcast, given the date that we are releasing it, I want to wish a happy Hanukkah, happy Kwanzaa, Merry Christmas, and of course, happy happy holiday season to all of our Cracked Rackets listeners. Hopefully, you know, you're listening to this, either you needed us, you're with your family, but you needed just a bit of a break or, you know, before you go back in for seconds, you wanted to hit the workout bike and you're like, hey, I'm going to catch up on my Great Shot podcast while I'm working out. So for all of you listeners, please enjoy part two of my ATP Best of the Decade Next Gen conversation with the one and only Ben Rothenberg. But that gets us into a very fun part of the conversation, Tier 2. And for those listeners at home, again, the tier definition is always a little bit arbitrary. But for Tier 2, I said, I defined it as, you know, assuming things break right, whether it be, you know, they don't get injured, they're just a healthy player, or they advance the way it looks like they're going to right now. My players in Tier 2 have shown glimpses that I would be... Not, I would not be surprised if they end up with slams by 2030. And in this category, I have seven players. Uh, how, how many do you have, Ben? 
Uh, I think I wound up with eight. <laughs> and he is, I mean, so I have Sinner in this tier, which you obviously had above. But yeah, I, and I have and I have I have Felix in my in my second tier. Okay, so those cancellations aside, so there's I think six, seven different names between us. Um, yeah. I'm gonna list the name. You tell me if they're in your tier or not. Alex Dimenauer, uh-huh. yes or no? No, although I I do I didn't I don't hate that pick, but no, if you know, on probability, I'm not sure he wins a slam. Uh, all right, we're starting there because he was at the top of my tier two, and I always like to go from a disagreement. So again, junior pedigree is something you take with a grain of salt. But for me, when I see these players perform at the highest levels as well, is this was this a shock or is this something we should have expected for Alex Dimenauer? This is a prominent junior. This was something we always could have expected. Uh, for our listeners right now, Dimenauer is sitting at age 20, you know, very young. He doesn't even have a full career statistics play page on Wikipedia. It's all just on the one page. <laughs> and that's how you know when you're doing I re- love that as a stat. I love that. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, Thus, you know, the the big breakthrough came for him second half of last year, uh, or I think it was second half of 2017, and then last year he makes that final in Sydney to start the year. He makes the City Open final in August. This year there was a lot of pressure coming on. Is you know, can you make that jump? Sure, you end your season inside the top 50, but can you get beyond that? And he did that this year. He ends the year at number 18. He makes I think it was uh, four more finals, gets his first three ATP titles, 250 levels, but still a title on the hard courts uh, in Sydney in January, in Atlanta in July, and then in Zhuhai in September. He made his first ATP, uh, not his first, sorry, his second ATP 500 series final at the Swiss indoors in October, uh, made his second straight next-gen final uh, at the end of the year in uh, Milan before losing to Yannick Sinner, obviously. But this is a guy who keeps checking off uh, the check marks for me. It's, you know, okay, first I break the top 50. Now this year, by the age of 20, I'm inside the top 20. Uh, has he had huge slam breakthroughs thus far? No, not really. That fourth round at the U.S. Open to end the year, the best he's done. But this is a guy I, I just see as the stereotypical, he's the one who it's the fall of 2027, Ben, and you know tennis relations with China are really on the fritz at this point. But he's the guy who's still alive at the end of the year, just physically fit and cleaning up these hardcore titles to end the season. Uh, that's that's best case scenario in this, in this version. Um, <laughs> no, I mean I I kind of don't think that way at all about him. I mean I think that, and I and I like him a lot, but I, I do think that he. Um, is someone who really throws himself around the court, plays a very physical brand of, of kind of counterpunch defense oriented tennis. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I would not be, if I was, you know, hoping for him, I want him to still be winning things when he's at his youngest and freshest more than in 2027. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I like his game. I think the one thing I'd say with Demonar is everyone always thinks he's much shorter than he is. He's not short. People think he's short because he's he like looks six like foot, he's right? a very young. Right, but he look. Yeah. People look at him, think of him like he's like you know like a <laughs> five foot six seventh grader. Yeah, like Schwartzman. Like, and, yeah, I mean like and even Schwartzman's shorter than that, yeah. but it's a different conversation. <laughs> um, they don't tell you who he is, but he is. Um, <laughs> and no, but with Diminar, um, yeah, I no, I'm, I I think I'll be in the mix, but like, 
what surface do you think he's going to win his his mystery slam on? It's a U.S. Open. I just see he's it's either or, or okay. in Australia. He could come out in January yeah. just in such good shape. And uh, again, you mentioned him throwing his body around. You're absolutely right. And I actually I didn't think about that perspective before, but you're right. This is a guy who just given how physical every point he plays is, you could see the hip injury and then the ankle injury and just all of these lingering things really affecting him as they did at the start of this season. Um, but, I mean, over the past two years, he's played 50-plus matches, went 28-23 and 23 in 2018, 38-20 this year. Again, ends the year inside the top 20. I just think on a hard court, and I haven't seen it yet on clay. I haven't really seen it yet on grass, although I do like the way he plays flat and his quickness translates across surfaces. But just, what you know, for two weeks, three out of five sets, when this guy's 22, 23, really grown into his body, talk about a tough out. Yeah, totally. But tough out is different than slam champ. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and so and so. I mean, that's the, the thing, Alex. Only four guys get to win slams a year. I know. You got it. You can't all be winning slams here. <laughs> and so you got you got to make some tough, tough choices. Even with these players who share first names with you, you got to say, you know what? <laughs> I just, I just, I just don't see it for you this time. Well, I, I just, again, the baseline, the the floor for him is so high. I think he's just going to be one of those guys who lingers, who gets his chance, and now there's something to say. Maybe he's one of those guys who lingers and just gets a couple Masters titles because he's, you know, physically fit come Paris, come Shanghai, and that may be I'm, more feasible, but I could just, I, I just, I like, you know, off the court, I, do I know him personally? No, but everything you read about Alex Dimonauer, the way he presents himself, this is a guy who will 100% get the most out of his, uh, potential tennis wise i mean here's the thing like i think sort of a pre-discussion to all of the discussions in tier two are about like what the 2020s will look like in terms of dominance versus parity right like Mm -hmm. how many guys were winning slams because the answer in the 2010s was six there were only six guys who won grand slams and so you know we are now skewing it by having these lists of you know 13 essentially roughly each or no that's bad math like 10 or 11 <laughs> new champs alone not even counting for you know Djokovic Federer Nadal maybe even Murray probably not Murray Varane Kunos winning more to start off the 2020s because um, I don't think the big four done so if like a Tsitsipas and Zverev let's say combine to win 15 slams between them next decade which is great for them if that happens um, that leaves a lot more fewer opportunities for these other guys and what you're saying with this model of like he can hang around and get a slam. Like, that's something that did not happen to, for almost anybody in the 2010s, right? Yeah. Nobody did that. So there were six so... guys in the 2010s. But, expa- I mean, the 2010s were so – and I, I know I don't need to tell you this, but for our listeners, you're not going to have a Djokovic, a Nadal, a Federer, and I'm going to throw him in there, a Murray, overlapping at the same time. It just – it doesn't happen. This was such a, a rare moment in tennis history. It brings you back to the only other time it happened, maybe the 80s, when you had, you know, Lendl, McEnroe, and Matt Vlander really dominating the top of the sport. Oh. Uh, but usually there's more parity. When – when Yannick Sinner wins 33 slams this decade, all right, no one's going to remember this little big four thing that happened. It's going to be over for them. You mean when FAA actually ends up with 20 to his 19? Um, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and then that last one goes to Opelka. 
Um, oh, the last one goes to to Diminar in your theory. That's, <laughs> that's true. That that's very true. Um, yeah, I, you're correct. Uh, it, it it's so difficult to balance that because there, you know, we only saw six Slam champions this decade. But I like to think it'll be more like the women's side in the twenty ten uh, in the twenty twenties for the men. Where That'd we're be gonna fun. Have, yeah, nineteen Slam champions. There are a lot of really good players on on the rise. So it would it wouldn't offend me or I think tennis fans everywhere if a bunch of them end I, up with slams. There's a happy medium to be had for both tours in the 2020s. I mean, I think both tours kind of look at the other and covet what they have a bit. Mm-hmm. You know, the the 20 the women want bankable stars who play a full schedule and do well and win slams and create rivalries because there were not a ton of real rivalries you could sink your teeth into in women's tennis in the 2010s who repeatedly let, met on the big stages. And then the men desperately need fresh winners. Mm-hmm. I mean, they really do. You know, they need to transition. They need to have what the women got not how this match actually went but a moment like osaka beating serena in a slam final yeah the men need that kind of torch pass moment um for some continuity and it'd be a shame uh for the men's game if the big four leave before they get beaten by these guys you know like i think that what sitsipas and team did at the world tour finals this year was great and it's just a question of now doing it on a a grand slam stage because that's how that's how stars get made. And, I'll point and the, out again. the men haven't made a new star in a while. No, and again, Alex Fierov's a guy who's beaten the big four on a big stage. That's why I'm so excited about him. Um, yeah, Medvedev coming as close as he did at the U.S. Open. No, he didn't beat Nadal, but the entire tennis community took notice and said he came as close as you can get to beating him. And I completely agree with you as that being a good thing for the game at large, one of these young guys emerging. But you don't think it's going to be Alex Dimenauer. So getting to some of these other names, Ben, and again, just stop me if you uh, let me know, agree or disagree, and that'll set the length of the conversation. Dennis Shapovalov, would you put him in tier two? Yeah, I do have him in sheer two, not with a bullet, but I like yeah, the apprehension I, I, in your I, voice I, shocks me, especially because you love the sinners, the sin man's end run. How could you not like Shapovalov? There's there's only one sinner. Don't expect <laughs> me to give sinner type energy for everybody here. Um, no, uh, I think that uh, Shapo. Yeah, I want that for him. But again, I'm just I'm just curious. Like these are big these are big prizes we're handing out here. These are grand slams, man. Like I'm not just you know I'm not being willy nilly about it. I got I got to think about it. I would like to see Dennis get it for sure. I, I really enjoy him. I, I want him to resume his rap career. I hated how he got chased out of the game by haters, <laughs> and I, I that's my main goal for him for 20, the 2020s. Honestly, and the, and the winning is kind of secondary, but. Um, yeah, I, I hope that he can do it. I, I, his, his recent trajectory I find really encouraging. Yeah. including the aforementioned beatdown of Felix. In <laughs> well, I'm going to throw in a plug here. If you like players making music, you should go check out our latest Cracked Interviews podcast listeners where Mikhail Torpegard drops his new metal album, Ben, a metal album from a tennis player. Wow. I know, and it's the intro and outro of the pod. I think it's it'll be coming out, I think, alongside of this one. Um, so just It's very uh, it's very Danish of him. <laughs> yeah, there's, big, there's a big... You know, metal and Danish tennis overlap in the past. You know about this, right? Yeah. Well, if I was to describe like, Ty Tucker with one music genre, it would be metal. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say I know who that is, but I will look <laughs> not and agree. That's the Ohio State head coach. Yeah, that's for our college fans out there. But no, I do not. Is that yeah. a real thing? Yo, yeah, yeah. No, like um, there was this guy, um, Torben Ulrich, who was a player uh, in like the 60s, who's... Son, I think I'm getting this right. Whose son Lars Ulrich was in 
Metallica, I want to say. And so let me Google him. Uh, the poem should yeah, have been so, whether uh, the topic be Danish metal, uh, Danish tennis metal, or the many ways to grow the sport. There is no topic in the yeah. game about which you won't report. There you go. Yeah, Lars Ulrich was a Danish musician, and his father, uh, or I think his father. Uh, let me look on his whole Wikipedia page, which I don't think will have a separate career stats category. But let me see. Uh, um, yeah, his father. Yeah, he's the son of Torben Ulrich, who was a like one of those like one of the more he was like the Benoit pair of the '60s kind of. He was like the uh, was like eccentric, like bearded back when nobody had a beard in tennis guy. He was like the hippie, the hippie of. Uh, of uh, pre-open-era tennis. That's an oxymoron, the freaking Benoit pair of the 60s and 70s. Isn't that primetime hippies, 60s, 70s? So, like, no, they're all no, Benoit but, pairs. No, but, no, but there's a difference. Benoit <laughs> pair is not a hippie. He's a, he's a hipster. Oh, that's true. Those are very different, very different creations. And, well, as Benoit says it himself, he's, he pronounces it, he embraces this label, and but he pronounces it Eepster. <laughs> yes, yes, I am Eepster. It's fantastic. <laughs> Well, that's good. Um, but so you talk about his rap career for Dennis Shapovalov, which I believe was the player we mentioned. The apprehension surprises yeah. me because, you know, the things – and again, not to say you like Yannick Sinner, so you should like Dennis Shapovalov, but the firepower you see from Shapovalov off the ground, the way he ended this year – making that final in Paris, getting his first career uh, ATP-level title. I believe it was in uh, Stockholm uh, in October. Yep. And then, you know, even though he lost to Djokovic, the way he beat Zverev in that Paris Masters, I mean, he it was a three-set match, but he dominated him. That was one of those where the scoreline shows it was closer than it actually was. He's a guy who, as you mentioned, played FAA in a first round, uh, you know, a big moment for him significance-wise and beat him at the U.S. Open. He's a guy who has made a fourth round, although it was back in 2017, but, you know, he made third round at the Australian Open this year. Uh, you know, French Open Wimbledon still a challenge for him, but we've seen him at Masters events on hard courts as well semifinals in canada semifinals in my in miami and then that final in paris i just love his firepower like if he played well for two weeks straight when he there i see a version of him where you just can't beat him where because on his best day he's as good as if not better than his opponent no that's that's why i put him in this in this category because yeah i remember what he was like 2017 august right that was he had a big run Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, what he was able to do there, like peak peak Shapo is pretty good, and I do think he'll be able to summon that at some point. I like his direction with Eugenie. Um Yeah, I, I I think I we we agree on this one. Yeah, and I would also say again, always a place for more rapping in tennis, more social media hits. So I feel like when Dennis Shapovalov thrives, uh, that's a personality people so, will certainly cling to. Here's the thing, like I he did his rap. I don't know if you saw this on on Twitter dot com uh, website on which I. <laughs> divide people but when he did his rapping i came i was not at indian wells and i had such fomo for it because <laughs> i came up with like all these various rhymes he could do uh and they were i gotta say they were uh completely end-to-end fire like they were so good i had so many good good rap rhymes that i was you know writing down for for dennis so uh yeah I mean, his, I mean, the fact that his name rhymes with tennis is the biggest blessing to his career <laughs> possible. Yeah, no, second only to Tennis Sandgren, of course, whose name actually is but tennis. But you can't rhyme tennis with tennis. That's just confusing. <laughs> you can when you're a tennis-playing rapper. I mean, I feel like the standards yeah, aren't that high. I, 
I don't somehow do not think that MC Sangren is stepping up to the mic anytime soon. But <laughs> no, I agree. But yeah, so we agree on Dennis Shapovalov, and I'll throw in one last fact: a, a Junior Slam champion at Junior Wimbledon. Not that Junior pedigree matters, mm-hmm. but you know these guys ascend the ranks. They were Junior champs, then they worked their way up the ATP tour. He has done exactly that over these past three years. Uh, so you know, uh, just another guy to be excited for, and certainly watch as we head into 2020. But okay, my next tier. Two. No, 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 one last thought on, on Dennis. I mean, because there's been a lot of different movement on this in the last couple of years. What do you hope that his hair does over the next 10 years? Because it's it's got to say, like I was so into the hockey hair question. that he came out with, and like in the really in the really big hat on his or that made his head look really small. It was pulled so tight. Um, what what. I don't know. I'm because when I see him winning a slam in my head, I see him doing it with his original hair. But maybe he could do it with a with a more corporate look. I don't know. It's just something to ponder. I don't, you don't even need to respond to that. No. So it's a it's a, it's a good take, and it's the sort of thing we look at at these best of the decade. Is pods. it a good take? I don't. I'm not no. sure. So I believe. Look, I'm Jewish. Uh, I believe Dennis Shapovalov is also Jewish. And speaking mm-hmm. on behalf of an aging Jewish male, uh, my hair's all you know. It's already losing it. Like it's already gone. So for him, I would say absorb the hand, uh, adopt. Your hair's not or, already gone. Oh, I saw you. You're not here. Your hair's not back on, is it? So I got a really bad haircut a couple of weeks ago that exposed the upper left quadrant, just worse than it's ever been exposed. Um, and oh man, sorry yeah, to hear that. No, I pull into the. Uh, this is a good story for our listeners. I had to go get an oil change after, so I pull into the little garage and like the guy. I lower my window. The guy's like, "How can I help you?" And I'm like, "Sir, like I just really need a second. Like, I just, I had this traumatic incident. Like, she brought out the buzzer, and he just starts laughing. He's like, oh, like, take your time. Like, I understand. And so I'm still working my way through that. Um, but, yeah, for Shapoval, I see a headband. I see him going Rafa. I see that hairline diminishing much before the end of his career. Uh, well, I hate I to mean, say I mean, here's it. the thing. With his, no, but you don't, I mean, to me, it's less important what's going on in the front than the back. With him, <laughs> right? Because as a Canadian, you know, the hockey hair thing is all about what, the flow. It's about what sticks out the back of your helmet. So, um, yeah, so that's what I'd like, I'd like to see for Dennis. What, what, what's going on in the front, I really, I really don't care. Yeah, um, but, yeah, but the, the, back, the back is crucial. Yeah, what's, that's certain. And what's yeah, that kind of, like, nice, almost like Carol Brady blonde <laughs> flip. He had, it was great. Fantastic. Anyway, who's your next person? No, it's good. It's a little Drake and Josh from like it's the Drake Bell hair from the uh, from the show. Uh, way too old for that reference, but yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, it's, sorry. Um, yeah, for for Shapovalov, it's iCarly, not even Drake and Josh. But that's really a deep cut for our Nickelodeon viewers. All right, our next, my next guy. Um, I think we might disagree on this one. Karen Hachanov, who I affectionately refer to as Karen Kachanov, uh, I have him in this tier. <laughs> You affectionately refer to him as his name. Um, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I, I do have him as well. I mean, he's somebody who's a a, a sturdy, uh, host of a fellow, and I, I do think that he's he win a French Open for sure at some point. I, I think his, you know, his beastiness on clay. I do think, you know, I expect Nadal and team to win probably the next I don't know three four years of French Opens between them, and then uh, there'll be some space and and. and he was, and KK can do it. So, uh, 
Yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah, uh, I think what in terms of players, I think we both agree it's not about the ceiling with him as much as the floor. I mean, this was a season where everything went wrong, and he still really wasn't that bad. No titles for him, 26 and 24, but he salvages a year-end top 20 ranking. Uh, in terms of the yeah. slams, he made his first quarterfinal. Uh, yeah, I, I just think this is a guy who, again, to get back to this framework, I think in 2020 to be 6'4", to have that serve and to be able to physically get around the court as well as he does, that's the modern game and i mean he bangs forehands as well he's somebody and this is a different whole different topic to get way more dragged off on track than we already are but like <laughs> i think that Wait, uh, let's go back to drake and josh catch, catch but catching off can uh I, I will google that i will get an opinion on drake and josh here before he's <laughs> over but uh catching off i think will thrive if conditions stay similar mm-hmm. uh if things get faster in the 2020s i don't think that helps i think that's not good for him i think he i think this current era of like kind of slow heavy tennis is really good for him um but if it, if it gets faster i could see catching off uh, having problems with that yeah i i agree with you there I, again the way he he's just he's just so solid and i really think his year goes entirely differently if he beats nadal in that indian wells match which was one of the stranger ones where N- nadal was cramping i think like his knee was broken and Kachanov was up a set and a break, and he ended up losing that match in three sets. And just like from there, it's sort of, you know, second round in Miami, second round Monte Carlo, second round Madrid, third round Italian Open. I know he had some big developments off the court in 2019. I believe he had his first child, which is obviously a huge mazel tov to him. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, I, again, I, I could see things stabilize. If this is as bad as it gets, I mean, he's 22 or 23 at this point. I could just see him being very good over the next 10 years. Hold up. Okay, I just did my homework here. Which era of Drake and Josh are you even talking about here? <laughs> for Dennis? For Dennis? Are there multiple? I don't see anything that looks like... Like the mop well, head? Well, I guess Shepard Ball's oh, like, face That's more like Justin tangle. Bieber hair, I would think of that as. Yeah, like, probably, right? Yeah, I don't think true. Dennis is ever going to have that. No, that's not feasible for tennis. There's never been a, a male player with... Well, maybe like... Don Ryan Budge. Harris, had that kind of, but I would call it more... What Ryan had was probably more like... Uh, what's that show called? Two Days. That's probably before your time. <laughs> that is you ever watch cool. Two Days? A show about like Alabama high school football on uh, MTV. I thought you were referencing no. Days of Our Lives. No, 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 no. Two Days was a was like a like a reality version of Friday Night Lights that was on <laughs> MTV. I think in like the around like oh seven. Mm. Anyway, they had like very like big combed hair in front of their faces. Yeah, well, like that. well, I mean, Hatchinov may not have that, but he's a Hemsworth. So at least we got to cover the Hemsworth here as well, because mm-hmm, obviously mm-hmm. he's one of the many Hemsworth. But okay, we agree on Hatchinov, which I actually thought we were going to disagree on. So I appreciate I, it makes me feel validated that you also agree with me there. Um, but the next player, and this was a guy we did not talk about in either of our first two editions of this podcast, but certainly one of, if not the, you know, Medvedev was so great, but one of the breakout stars of mm-hmm. 2019, Matteo Berrettini. Is he on your list? Nope. Really? Okay. So I, this to me is my sinner. This is where I was like, this one year, he makes a U.S. Open semi. He makes finals on all three surfaces. He was so, you know, the the forehand, the serve, those aren't going anywhere. That's going to work no matter, you know, for the next 10 years, if he's healthy, that's going to work. Plus, it's great to have a linebacker playing football or playing uh, tennis. Playing tennis. (laughs) I mean, I, 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 not once you started talking to him and I remembered who he was, not that I forgot, but like when you, when I, you started selling me Berrettini, I, I, a little more on the fence than I was confidently saying no. But uh, again, there's a lot of people up here who, who you got to make some tough choices. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of recency bias with Berrettini. I've been in the Berrettini tank for a while, 
Like, I was big on him a couple years ago after watching him destroy my guy. Uh, shout out to another Next Gen'er, uh, Ducky Lee, <laughs> some Chinese Challenger stream. Berrettini just absolutely savaged him. Um, and, and yeah, I, I think that Berrettini could do well. I just haven't seen, like, a big enough sample. He's had one sort of good couple-month stretch here. Uh, that US Open run came pretty out of nowhere for me that he was able to go that deep. And I think the draw uh, did him some favors there. Um, but uh, we'll see. I mean, I'm not going to argue your pick. It's just not, he's not the one I'm most excited about or most optimistic about. Yeah, that's this, fair. Uh, I would say, you know, starting in April, post Monte Carlo, he had a really good stretch where he won in Budapest, finals in Munich, uh, round of 16 in Rome. Second round loss to Rude at the French Open wasn't great, but then he wins Stuttgart, makes the semifinals in Halle, makes the round of 16 in Wimbledon. I mean, that was a, you know, those sort of results, you, you can't just tree your way to six weeks straight of those sort of results. He was that good now. Too many drop shots for my taste, but again, it's a different sort of flavor, and that's why I enjoy his playing, but I could see why you would have reservations for Berrettini because you're right, it, the serve and the forehand were just so on, and he was playing so confidently, so that had to have helped. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, then we can move on to our next guy. So you are out on Berrettini. That means you're going to have some I definitely don't have on this list. I do think you have the last guy we haven't talked about, at least on my part of the list, before we get to your names, and that's Andre Rublev. I think he's got to be on your list. You are correct i do have rublev <laughs> I, I i think i think rublev is just somebody who is gonna be like you know like a male talk about like if the women are gonna, if the men are gonna have a wta 2010s kind of decade like there's no reason he can't be ostapenko or that mm-hmm. kind of better like you know he's gonna he will redline at some point it's a great and comparison and, and, ju- and just be on and you know he's and he's he's that kind of you know, in the purest, most celebrated form of brainless ball basher, like he's that kind of guy, which I, which you know, is not a, a slur in my mind. Like mm-hmm. somebody who just like, and team, I think even has developed this into a really sort of feasible way of playing. Like team has one gear in his tennis right now for the most part. He just like hits every ball whenever he can, as hard as he can. Unless it's like really going for something different. There's not like a it doesn't downshift for, for no reason. He just pedal the metal and. Rublev has that too. He was super impressive beating Tsitsipas in New York this year and his whole run beating Kyrgios too. Uh, but probably my comeback player of the year. I don't know. I don't know. He won the award, but I think he probably should have. Um, yeah, Rublev, I'm impressed by, and I think he will, you know, be up and down for sure. But I think the highs will be pretty high with him. Yeah, a guy who does have a career statistics plate page on Wikipedia, which certainly made me feel good about his selection. Again, uh, it's a former World Junior number one. I feel like because of the rise of Sinner, he may have replaced Rublev in your heart. Uh, because you know Rublev, borderline ginger. I don't know if you include him in the club. It depends, really. Yeah, on no, the no, no, no. He, he, Rublev definitely gets included in the uh, hashtag tennis needs gingers campaign <laughs> uh, for sure. Yeah, not and, as aggressively as center, but or like Van Oytvank, but yeah, he's in there. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah, and I again, I mentioned this with FAA, um, but I think Rublev falls in this category as well. Listen to his forehand. Go watch him practice, and it's just different. It's just it's so, and the way he swings when you watch him play, it just looks so aggressive. He looks so angry at the ball with every time he swings through it. Now, does he have a slice? Not really. And in that U.S. Open, you could tell how terrified he is of moving forward. Uh, he also has cases of the double faults, but it's a combination of pedigree. Uh, this is a guy who has an ATP title to his name. 
uh, one title he won in July of 2017 before he dealt with his first wave of injuries, but another title he got in October of this year at the Kremlin Cup. Uh, you look at his results at the Slams, and you know he's had success before. He made that quarterfinal appearance at the U.S. Open in 2017, fourth round this year, and came on strong at Cincinnati, coming through qualies to make the quarterfinals. So just a really strong ending of the year for him. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think an, another former World Junior number one who uh, has lived up to that status, who has continued to ascend the rankings, and it's just a matter of can he now play 12 months consecutively without health issues. Yep. Yeah. All right. I know I, I, I skipped a name for me, uh, which is Riley Opelka, which I know we both agree on, and I, listeners have heard mm-hmm. me opine about Opelka before. So we'll, we'll frame this question like this. Did you see anything in 2019 to either deter or perhaps reinforce your support of Opelka? I think just reinforce. I mean, because I, I think that I saw him play a couple times where he wasn't playing his best and still winning, mm-hmm. and that's positive for him. Uh, he's somebody who I think often – especially first half of the year, kind of got bogged down with some pretty negative body language sometimes. Uh, his match in, uh, I think, you would say it was India Wells against Leonardo Meyer first round, maybe. Uh, that was an ugly match um, and just not a, not a fun match to watch just from a body language perspective from him. Um, but uh, he's turned it around. He's pretty positive. He seems like super, you know, engaged in his career in this way that I really appreciate, you know, even just like even his complaining about like the ATP cut points. Um, I like that because it shows that he's, you know, plugged into his career and plugged into the tour in this way that I think is really positive. Yeah. And again, the way he beat Wawrinka Wimbledon round one, um, no, Wawrinka's not the best grass pit player, but you just, you see the recipe where there's a Wimbledon where he just serves lights out. And I mean, Anderson made a final, Isner made a uh, semifinal. Opelka is that height, that dangerous of a serve. And I th- we agreed on this last time. I think his serve continues to have room to get better. Uh, but he's also frisky from the ground. There are skills there. He's not just your typical seven-foot serve bot. He does things that, uh, particularly the backhand down the line, I, I, I think tennis fans can really grow to enjoy. Yep, agreed. Yeah. All right, there are names on your list that I did not mention. Run me through them, Ben. All right, I have uh, her catch. Ooh, so he was an honorable mention for me and a guy we just previewed on the mini break. I don't see uh, the floor. He's much like Kachanov in that the floor is incredibly high, but give me the case for the ceiling of him becoming a slam champion. I mean, it's nothing that different from what we said about these other guys. I mean, like, you know, we kind of describe him the same way. He's another big guy with a lot of, you know, range and power and good hands. And what I've seen from him, I haven't seen a ton of him, um, but what I have seen has been very impressive, and he seems really coachable, too. Like, I think his partnership with uh, Craig Boynton mm-hmm. is one of the sort of more surprising uh on paper partnerships uh, that I've seen and just, they seem to work really well. And uh, he seems to have that sort of, uh, you know, seems like a really yeah good head on his shoulders. And again, not someone who's really tested in big match stages too much so far, but a couple of flashes, a couple of big upsets uh, early in the year that, that put him on my list for sure. The two wins um, over Nishikori. Put him on, my, out, on, my, right? on my radar. Yeah. 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 And just, and just, you know, just generally, um, yeah, just, again, the raw materials are there. And he's kind of one of these modern type, you know, big, tall, relatively slender, quick guys that we're seeing so many of in the sport right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so her catch is in there for me. And then the other ones are the, the, the less weird pick, and these are both reaches, but 
you know, I went really weird with my honorable mention, so I had to go a little bit more weird with my tier two. Um, <laughs> is I have uh, Alexi Alexi Popperin. Um, <laughs> All right, who... talk about surf plus forehand, hatching off light. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I really liked how he competed and played on the big stage in Australia last January. We hadn't seen much of him before that. Haven't seen much since. So that limited data is <laughs> holding up for me. Um, I thought that was it was really positive for him. And uh, yeah, somebody who just seems to be progressing and and I think could have a better has a bigger upside in terms of just weaponry than maybe than Demonar. Although I will say with Demonar, I didn't mention this, but Demonar's serve is got is really good for someone who's not enormously tall. Um, he's got a uh, well, he's taller than you think he is, but he's not that tall. Have you seen? Um, you've seen he, Harry Potter, right? Yeah. You're not you're not too old for that. I read the books um, in the original Hebrew. I'm that old, but no, I uh, uh, what what? No, I have not seen all the movies. No. Oh, but you know, in, in Quidditch, like how they have the beaters, the guy who hit the the ball that flies around at people. Yep, yep that to me, when yeah. I watch Alex Dimenauer hit serves, that's what I think of him as. Just like a beater, just the way he goes after the ball. It's like he's trying to hit it at someone. Okay, yeah, that's good. It's it, kind of like erotic, almost explosivity, yeah. kind of thing to it, which I appreciate. And then. My last pick, just out of pure, pure love of spice, um, and just and just wishing this into fruition more than anything, um, because I do think this guy will have moments where things work for him, uh, moments where they don't, but maybe the good times will be that good, is uh, Sasha Bublik. Ooh, that is a spicy way to end. The <laughs> so, hmm. I mean, just give me the case. I, the case is, you know, the case already. But like, <laughs> yeah. I think that like there will be a time where like you know things get weird, man, and just like Bublik in the same way that like I could still see Kyrgios winning a Grand Slam in the twenty twenties if things come together for him. It only takes two weeks. I mean, weirder things have happened. These are both supremely talented players. Bublik gets a lot of free points on his serve, so that keeps him in sets with even when he's kind of going haywire. Um, and the rest of his game is really confounding and great when it works. So. Um, he's just, I mean, more than he's someone who I think will win a Grand Slam, he's someone who I think will have a, a few interest, really interesting runs at Grand Slams. We'll have kind of like looks. And I'm just hoping that one of those looks happens and he gets some other weirdo across the net and, 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 and fun stuff happens and he can walk away with a slam. No, that's I think a... it'd be so fun for the sport for him to, uh, for someone just like, for someone just like bizarre to be a slam champ. I think it would be great. Oh, absolutely. The serves, the drop shots, the... He's, he, I mean, talk about a guy underarm serve. Yeah, who yeah. will tank return games shamelessly, just totally going for huge bombs down the line the entire time if he's not feeling that game. Yeah, that would be a fun one. You mentioned the buzzword, Nick Kyrgios. You can't go a podcast without, ta- and not you, but just in general, uh, with the ATP Tour talking about these young guys, and of course, Nick Kyrgios, despite being a 1995er, uh, remains as captivating a young talent as any player on the ATP Tour. Uh, where would you put him on this list? Would you throw him in tier two? Would you throw him in tier one? Or have you seen enough? Definitely not a tier one. I mean, no, he's not that safe a pick at all. But uh, I think he's I think he's a, a tier two kind of guy. I think he could be absolutely no, not putting him below Bublik. So, you know, yeah, <laughs> um, it, it's just a question from, again, of putting it together. And, you know, nothing, no original thoughts here. He's kind of his own worst enemy in a lot of ways, um, with how he could sabotage his chances, mid-match, mid-point, anything, um, and have things fall apart. But I, but the, the upside is still so massive. 
um, and there's no one he can't beat. And I do think that he just, if, if someone can turn the dial the right way or find the right dial turned the right way, he's just a couple clicks away from being, uh, being, you know, definitely capable. Not, if not having the steadiness to be a number one, you know, um, at least getting to be the best player who shows up to a tournament on a given week. Uh, having sure. been at Washington, having, having watched Acapulco, you know, like he's, yeah, he's totally capable of that. You beat me to it. Those two tournaments, how could you watch those this year? Two of the most enjoyable runs of the season, particularly that City Open one where he's getting shoes, he's getting serve target requests from the or, uh things from the audience you know he's yeah. asking for recommendations all of these different things it's objectively engaging and good for tennis i mean how can you say the fans there didn't have a good time i don't think anyone would say that um he's must watch tv when he's locked in and even sometimes more so that cincinnati match against medvedev when he's not locked in um and so yeah i Talent-wise, I mean, he's still a tier oneer. You just the results speak for themselves. What he can do on the court when he's focused, but yes, with all of the other hoopla that comes with him, uh, yeah, you, you can't have a list that has you know objectively. I just Riley Opelka is not more likely to win a slam than Nick Kyrgios. I would say they're certainly in the same category. So I agree with you. I would have him solidly mm. in tier two. We hope you enjoyed part two of our conversation with Ben Rothenberg looking at the next-gen ATP and all they accomplished in the 2010s, how we as listeners can take uh, thing, uh, take lessons from what they accomplished and uh, use them to project forward into the 2020s. Uh, really, as always, want to give a shout-out and a big thank you to Ben for giving up his time. As you listeners can tell, there will be a part three of this conversation coming out later in the week. We also know 2019 is ending, the decade's ending, and we want to sneak in one more best of the decade episode focusing on some college tennis something you listeners know we love here at cracked racket so going to try and sneak in part three as well as that episode that one will probably end up being two parts as well before the end of the year so be on the lookout for that but if you you know have missed any of our best of the decade coverage you have missed any of our college contenders all of our content can be found at our website crackedrackets.com of course again it's this podcast the mini break podcast the cracked interviews podcast like rate subscribe review uh you know share it with your friends please we are still uh, by the time this is released i don't know if we'll have announced the john isner racket winner and if we have not announced it it means there's still time to go sign up get your chance uh give yourself a chance to win a free signed john isner racket obviously uh we are so thankful to our new friends at aerobar for that giveaway getting you all in the holiday spirit a little post christmas gift to yourself there's nothing wrong with that get yourself a nice new racket signed up uh signed by john isner for the new year so go leave those reviews on our three podcasts again for the more immediate updates twitter and Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. It's at Cracked Rackets. Uh, it's almost 2019. That's a crazy thought, and I know we've been a bit sporadic with our mini break releases. We do apologize for that. It's just tough to find guests. Uh, obviously, during this holiday season, I'm fortunate. You know, I'm Jewish. Uh, I don't have the big Christmas Day celebrations with the family, so I have a little bit of free time, uh, but that doesn't trickle over to everyone, so we do apologize for that. I'm lucky I'm Jewish. Everyone's lucky, regardless of the reason I'm saying. In terms of free time, you know, Christmas Eve's a nice night for me, but unfortunately, I couldn't find a mini brick co-host but be on the lookout for that because we're going to try and sneak in a few more names for you uh listeners just to get you ready before you know australian action is upon us and it's not just the u.s open or australian open right it's brisbane it's sydney it's auckland it's numea challengers just from top to bottom tennis will be here before you know it so 
scary thought, but again, listeners, to get you ready, go check out our website, CrackedRackets.com. Have to give a shout-out to our super producers, Max Flinger and Daniel Westoff, who have a f- of an editing job to do, as always, and continue to, you know, regardless of the season, holiday season, summer, spring, winter, fall, whatever it is, they are always down to, uh, you know, edit these podcasts and give some content to you listeners, so a huge shout-out to them. And again, I know it's the holiday season. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy Holidays to all of you out there celebrating whatever it is uh, that is important to you. Mo- most importantly, hopefully, you're in that festive family. Family holiday season. And so before we end out, Westoff, give me some sort of holiday sound effect, please. But with that in mind, again, be on the lookout for part three of this conversation with Ben later on in the week. But for the lovely Ben Rothenberg, again, who we cannot thank enough for our super producers, Max Fleetner and Daniel Westoff, and from our entire teams at both Crack Records and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. Hey, great shot, and we'll see you for part three. Happy holidays, everyone. Hope you're enjoying your break. Thank you.